let's, <laughs> let's move on. Hey, today, um, what we're doing, and Ruben kind of mentioned this, through the year of 2022, we've been studying through the Gospel of Mark, right? And we've gotten about uh, three quarters of the way, maybe 80% of the way through the Gospel of Mark. But here for the month of October, we've put it on hold. We'll come back to Mark actually on October 30th in four weeks. But over these next four weeks, we're going to be talking about what does it mean to be the church? seemed appropriate to kick off a series like that today with communion as we celebrate being the church together. We're not just a bunch of individual Christians who kind of rally together for a couple hours and then go back out and live our lives on our own. We are called, with all of the other Christians in the world, we are called to be the church together. Somehow there is a community that comes together among the people of God even if we don't do it well. And so that's what we're going to be talking about the next couple weeks. Today is kind of being the church, part one. How do we serve and support each other? That's that's where we're headed here for the next little bit. Um, Last week, Pastor Steve talked about spiritual gifts. Some of you remember that. He gave a great sermon on, on 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And if you didn't catch it, well, it is still posted on YouTube. So lucky you, this afternoon you go home, you just look up Waterway Church on YouTube, and you can find the video from last week's sermon. But Steve talked about spiritual gifts, and, and because this is part of our reality as Christians, whether we fully understood and maximized it or not. And so these next four weeks, we're going to be thinking about what it means to be the church. We're going to be thinking about what it means to be together. And we're going to be thinking about what it means to put our spiritual gifts that Steve talked about into action. Now, it was interesting to me, I'm going to say that word that Most of us don't speak anymore. But during the time of COVID, it was interesting to me how so many people in the world realized the importance of personal connection, right? Now, there were some of us who who didn't feel very different. We got the same amount of personal connection through our day at work or through our week at home as we normally would have, because many of us are blessed to live out here in the country. We were around so many people. Some of us only work with our families, and so it wasn't so different. But there were other folks who were used to going from their home where they lived by themselves out into a world that was the traffic was big, their jobs were big, their office places were big, their interactions were big, and that went from big to zero very quickly. And it was interesting to me, was it interesting to you, to see how over time people started, some people loved it, the introverts were like, great, finally, I don't have to see anybody. But many people, even introverts, were saying, but I'm missing out on connection, like real face-to-face connection. We have all the technology, right? Did anybody buy stock in Zoom right before the pandemic? God bless you if you did. Everybody's Zooming back and forth and FaceTime, and we can text, and we've got all these social media platforms. All that stuff is there. People think that that can bring life, but is it the same? Is it the same as physically being in the same place as someone else? Being able to shake their hand, or give them a hug, or give them a kiss. Like I'm going to go a step further. I don't want to be weird, but just to smell people, I'm to hear people, not over a microphone or speaker or through a phone, but, but just to be there. Do you remember, some of you, how good it was when we were able to come together in small groups, and, and when we were able to kind of be together and, and gather in all the different ways that we gathered, just to be around? See, people understand... In our hearts, even if we don't get it in our minds, we understand that we're not called to live all alone. The advertisements we're bombarded with try to promote technology as the answer. 
But technology is not going to give us the connection that we need. Young people, I want you to hear me especially. Use your technology well. It's a tool that you can get a lot of things done. But technology is not everything you need. And by young people, I don't just mean you beautiful folks sitting here in the second row. I'm talking about, hmm, I'm talking about everybody, I suppose, who might try to find their life electronically. If you've got to plug it in, it's not bringing you all of the life that you need. Because our bodies matter. The physical matters. Our bodies are not just incidental. Our bodies are not just something that we can set aside and ignore, even though some of us would like to. And our bodies are not just machines to be monkeyed with and modified. God created our bodies. The scripture tells us even that our bodies are not our own. There is a reality that we are spiritual and physical creatures. We can't ignore either. Some people try to say we're just physical. They ignore the spiritual. That doesn't work for very long, and there's certainly no joy there. Other people have tried to say over the years that, well, we are just spiritual and the physical doesn't matter. That is not the case either. I believe that Jesus taught us that both our spiritual and physical components are intended to be lived out socially and in community with God and with others. And this is why, spoiler alert, Jesus took a bread and a cup, tangible physical things, things that can be felt and tasted and smelled. He took these elements to illustrate a spiritual reality. When Jesus, as, as Reuben said, you know, at the Last Supper, Jesus took the, the bread and the cup. When Jesus was standing there with his disciples, he could have just told them to remember me. Jesus was a fantastic preacher, fantastic storyteller, coming up with parables all the time. But what did he do? He went with the physical to illustrate this spiritual reality. He said, no, take bread, remember me. Take the cup and remember me. He could have laid the physical aside, said, well, that doesn't really matter. But that's not what he did. He said, no, these things can help you to remember me. The physical matters. Do you hear me, church? Now, as I said, on October 30th, we'll get back to Mark. We'll finish up the gospel of Mark by December. As you're looking ahead, that will take us up to Advent, which will lead us to our worship service on Christmas morning. In case you're curious, we did use technology because it can be used for good. We did use technology to put out a survey. A couple weeks ago, we had our worship team and our elders and leadership team, everybody realized this year, Christmas is on a Sunday, right? And we've done a number of different things over the years when Christmas was on a Sunday. Sometimes we changed our worship service this way, and sometimes we changed it that way. This, way, there were, this year, there were a couple of different ideas that came out, and, and everybody who was kind of in the room praying and thinking about those decisions said, well, we could kind of do it either way. This looks good and that looks good. Let's ask the congregation. That, by the way, is one of our values that we try to hold on to as much as we can. So we put out a survey a couple weeks ago. Said, should we have our Christmas worship service on Christmas morning at 1030, the way we often do, or shall we have it on Christmas Eve, something like 7 o'clock, have it in the evening rather than on Sunday morning? 95 people responded. Way to go, 95 people. 95 people responded, Christmas morning edged out Christmas Eve, 55 to 40. 55 to 40, 11 to 8. So we'll have a worship service here on Christmas morning. We'll have a Christmas Eve Eve service on Friday night before. And then in January, we'll get back to uh, 
With Mark wrapped up and with Advent worked up, we're going to do some winter sermons on practical living. How do you live out your Christian faith? And if you have any particular topics that you'd like to hear preached about, maybe it's how you deal with money or how you deal with sex and intimacy, or maybe it's how you deal with your neighbors, or or maybe it's how you think about government and politics. We've got ideas too, but if you have anything you'd like to hear preached or taught about, just send me an email, jesse at waterwaychurch.com. That's where we're going. That's what we're going to be talking about. And we're going to be doing it all, paying attention to the fact that Jesus cares about our bodies and our spirits. Jesus engaged us in communion with his body and with his spirit. Because remember, we've talked about this the last few weeks, we are in a broken world that is currently under a curse. You want to know more about that? Read Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3. You'll see the world that God built. You'll see the world that God intended. And you'll see the world that we ended up with because of our decisions. We discussed over the last couple of weeks, I know it's a lot of background, but we're going somewhere here. We discussed over the last couple of weeks that even though on our own we are inadequate, we are loved and we are saved. And though naturally selfish, we are given new hearts and we are given a mission when we give our lives to Jesus Christ and believe in him. Steve told us last week that God equips us mind and body and spirit to do God's work here on earth. The guidance of the Father shows us what work we can do. The guidance of Jesus instructs us on how to do it. And the power of the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit allow us to do that work. So we read about that in 1 Corinthians 12. How many of you had a chance this week to check out your spiritual gifts? Did anybody go online and check out your spiritual gifts inventory? Okay, I see about three of you. That's that's like half of us, so we're doing well, right? Nobody should feel guilty or convicted at all because we don't do guilt here. (laughs) unless it's a spiritual gifts inventory that's online and easy and free, then you should all do it. But Steve talked about 1 Corinthians 12, and he talked about the gifts of the Spirit. And I think it's important for us to realize and remember that the very next chapter, written by Paul, inspired by God, in 1 Corinthians 13, is this. And here's something to think about. Paul said that if I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love... I'm only what? A resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. He said, if I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, in other words, Paul said, if I have all these great spiritual gifts, if I have all those things, and if I have even a faith that can move mountains, but I don't have love, I am nothing. And if I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I can boast, but if I don't have love, I gain nothing. Here is Paul saying, no matter what our gifts are, we have been brought from a place of absolute iniquity, absolutely rotten in sin. Jesus lifts us up and saves us and then fills us by the power of the Holy Spirit with gifts from God so that we can do God's work here on earth. But if we do it all without love, it means nothing. This is the message of the gospel. I was reminded this week of how powerful this love thing is. Pastor Steve and I were invited to a meeting on Tuesday. It was at the Lighthouse Youth Center. It was called by Representative John Lawrence, and they were gathering a whole bunch of churches and civic leaders in Oxford to talk about what's happening with the building that we know as the Jennersville Hospital. Okay, And so John Lawrence got together. There, there was a, a, some directors and very important people, apparently, from the Christiana Care Health Network, which is the Christiana Hospital down in Newark and, and their larger satellites. Those folks got together, and just for an hour, they told us here in Oxford about what they expect and, and what seems to be coming 
to Jennersville and the West Grove area. In fact, they don't say Jennersville at all. They're very careful in their branding. They're talking about that as West Grove. I don't know why Jennersville has turned into West Grove over the years. That'd be an interesting thing for one of you locals to tell me about. But they were telling us about what's happening with the hospital. Many of you, if you're not from like right around here, if you're closer to Lancaster or Christiana, maybe you have no idea. But our, our little local hospital in Jennersville closed down, what, a year, year and a half ago? And 20 years ago, some might say. But, but, the, but, but the hospital literally closed down, fully shut down. It had an emergency room. It had full services. It was, it was our local hospital. It closed down. There was a change in ownership, a lot of curiosity. What's going to happen? Well, Christiana Care, which is the Christiana Health Network out of the Christiana Hospital in Delaware, they have, they have um, begun the process to take that over. And they were very clear to tell us over and over and over. They said, there is no timetable on this. H- have any of you tried to buy a new car lately? I know there's not a lot of new cars. How, many, how long did some of you have to wait? Some of you have been able to be opportunistic and buy something that was already in stock, but you've heard about wait times. Any of you trying to build something right now, a house or a barn or a garage or a cabin? Any of you aware of what the wait times are like? Do you know what it's like to try to order an MRI machine or a CAT scan machine? The people at Christiana tell us that it's difficult. And so they're going to be working to get good staff and to get good equipment and to get good things in place so that they can have an emergency room in West Grove. That's going to be the key core of what they're working at. And then they're going to have a lab and they're going to have a pharmacy and they're going to have an emergency department to go around that. But, but that's where they're starting. They're saying we're starting and they're starting from zero. In fact, there are, no, there are no data lines. There is no technology in that hospital at all. It was all removed when the previous owners moved out. And so they have all the stuff that you might plug into a wall to get your computer to work. None of it's there. So they've got to put that in. How long will that take? Any of you try to hire somebody lately? Any of you employers trying to find good help? Try to find an emergency room full of doctors and nurses and technicians. This is what Christiana Care is working at. And so they're telling us this so that we would tell you. Telling you there's good stuff coming, but be patient, right? And then they shared... Christiana Care shared their mission statement with us. Very interesting. It's a secular group. It's a nonprofit group, but it's a secular group. Their, their mission is to deliver medical care with love and excellence. Love and excellence. And the fellow who was giving the presentation, he said, you know, a lot of our people kind of cringed at the love part when we first brought this out because lots of people have lots of different ideas what love means. Do hospitals really need to be about love? And they said, yes, we are. They are all about love and excellence. And what they're trying to do in West Grove is to build a satellite of their hospital so that they can serve this area where it's a little far if you have a real emergency to drive to Lancaster or Elkton or Christiana. They're trying to build a satellite here so that they can care for the needs of the people in this area. The main hubs in Christiana But there's a need for services, and especially emergency services, to care for people who are not close enough to get to a bigger facility. Now, this is going to be a stretch, church, but stretch with me. It's a little bit like how Jesus sends his Holy Spirit for our work here in this place until we get to home base. Sometimes heaven feels pretty far away, doesn't it? I know a few of you sitting here feel like heaven is getting very close. Praise God. Praise God. And we don't know when each of us is going to be promoted But here is what I know. I know that there are some days, if I'm having a hard day, where I know in my mind that heaven is my future. I know in my mind that God is taking care of everything and that everything is going to be fine. 
I know in my mind, because I read it in the Bible and I hear it over and over, that God is working for me. I am saved by Jesus Christ, and he has given me his Holy Spirit so that I can do all the things that God calls me to do. I know that in my mind. But do you know what shows up on my face? What shows up on my face and what too often comes through my words is, because I know in my mind that amazing things are coming. I know in my mind that amazing things are happening. I know in my mind that Christ is for me and not against me. I know in my mind that I am victorious and that that all evil and death and darkness has no grasp on me. I know on my mind that these things are true, but it can be very difficult to feel day to day like that's what's happening. Do you know what I'm talking about? And so Jesus Christ knowing that we might feel this way, even though our promises are sure and even though his gospel is clear, Jesus Christ sent us his Holy Spirit so that we could feel close to God even though we feel like things are a big mess. It says in Ephesians chapter 5, and we're going to camp out in Ephesians 5 for the rest of the day. So if you'd like to to turn there in your Bibles or on your devices or, or maybe in the little Bible that's underneath the chair in front of a few of you, We're going to go to Ephesians chapter 5, and the people in the back didn't know that yet, so it's not on the screen. But we're in Ephesians 5, and in in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1, we're told by the Apostle Paul that we're supposed to follow God's example. Look at that. As dearly loved children. And we're to walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. Jesus gave himself as a sacrifice to God so that we can walk in the way of love. I mean, Jesus didn't just tell us to love people. Jesus didn't just tell us to look forward to all good things and then be inspired to do good things now. No, Jesus died for us so that this can happen. And so one of the things that we do as a church is we must remind each other constantly that we are not in this life by ourselves. It's not just up to me to to prop myself up and try to feel good. It's not just up to Delmar to say, well, I've got to teach Sunday school on Sunday morning, so put my Sunday school face on, right? It's not just up to Anthony to say, well, my back hurts today, but I've got to help serve communion. I guess I'll just suffer through it. It's not up to us to do it by ourselves. It's not up to Melanie to say, well, I've got to go be in the nursery today with these kids. I'd hate those kids. She doesn't say that. This is, but it's not up to her to just pick herself up all by herself. See, we're supposed to be together in all this. We're supposed to be encouraging each other in all this. And I think a lot of us do. But do you ever forget? Do you ever forget that we do this faith thing together? Do you ever forget that, that we have to look out for each other as we do this? Do you ever forget that that it's okay to share your needs with the people around you. It's okay to share your frustrations with the people around you. Not just to complain, but, but to share those things so that we can carry each other's loads, bring them before the Lord, and let him heal us together. So Ephesians 5.1 tells us to follow God's example as dearly loved children. Ephesians 5.2 tells us to walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice. Ephesians 5, verses 3 through 20, give a whole lot of great instruction. I'd encourage you to read that this afternoon before you take your nap or watch your game or do whatever it is that you do. Read Ephesians 5, 3 through 20. But here I'm going to read for you Ephesians 5, verse 21. This is more instruction on what it means to live together this gospel that Christ has put before us. Now, these are words that are written to the church. These are words that are written to believers 
God has inspired the Apostle Paul to write to the church at Ephesus, to those Ephesians, and he wrote them this letter. And in Ephesians 5, in the fifth chapter, in the 21st verse, he says to the Christians, he says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is part of what it means to live for God. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. The bread's done. And then Paul gets particular. And if you've been at a wedding, you may have heard this preached about before. Some of you have heard this preached about in churches before. Maybe the preachers did a good job and maybe they didn't. But today we're going to look at what the Bible actually says. Ephesians 5, verse 20. Paul says, I'm sorry, verse 21. Paul says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. In other words, all Christians submit to each other. Say all with me. All. All of us submit to each other. That's the umbrella that the rest of the teaching is going to come under for a few moments here. All of us submit to each other. I look out for you. You look out for me. If you have an idea and I have an idea, I must listen before I speak. And I must consider you before I consider me. And then we can work together because you should also be considering me and listening to me. There should be a mutual submission here, a mutual respect happening among all Christians. And then Paul gets particular, gives us an example that he thought a lot of people would be able to relate to. Now, as we go through here, it's tempting to think that this passage is all about marriage. I'm going to submit to you that this passage is more about Jesus Christ and the church, and that marriage is just the example that, that pulls out the truth of Christ. But let's see what it says. Ephesians 5, verse 22, it says, Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. There have been preachers in the past and often men who have abused this passage. There have been people that have said, well, because you're my wife, now you have to do everything I say. I am in charge. I don't think that's what it means. Why? Well, in verse 21, it already said that everyone is supposed to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. We can't just pull out one verse and make it say what we want it to as if none of the other verses are there. But it does. It says, wives, submit to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. And if you don't like the word submit, I'm going to suggest to you that respect is a very close, not just respect in attitude, but also in our actions. Respect is a very close synonym. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. And it doesn't say submit yourselves to other people's husbands. It says to your own husband as, do, as you do to the Lord, because you chose to marry him. Verse 23, why? The husband is the head of the wife. How? How is the husband the head of the wife? Remember, we have to look at the whole thing. Why? Well, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior, now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. It feels like we're getting into dangerous territory, doesn't it? Are any of you nervous? Are any of you remembering times of frustration? This is part of the message of what it means to submit to each other. Wives, submit to your husbands as the church submits to Christ. But that's not, again, that's not the end of the story. There's more. Look at verse 25. As if those three verses written to the wives weren't enough, husbands, we get six verses. Husbands, love your wives. Now, there are some husbands who think, well, that just means I send a nice card on Valentine's Day. And it means I say I love you from time to time. Well, I hope you do those things. But Paul gets very explicit here. He says, husbands, love your wives. How? Just as Christ loved the church. And now, husbands, I think you should be starting to feel like there is more put upon your shoulders even than is put upon your wife in verse 22. Because husbands, what does it mean 
to love your wife as Christ loved the church? Well, Paul describes that here in the second part of verse 25. How did Jesus love the church? He loved the church and gave himself up for her. He didn't lord it over the church, even though he is the Lord. Jesus sacrificed himself, allowed himself to literally die, to be tortured for the church. Husbands, don't you ever complain about your wives if you are not first loving her this way. Give yourself up for her. What else did Jesus do? What did Jesus do? Well, he gave himself up for the church to make the church holy, to cleanse the church by washing with water through the word. That's, that's baptism, right? And verse 27, what else did Christ do for the church? How else did he love the church? He presented us, the church, her, to himself as a radiant church. Jesus prepared us for himself without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Do you see what Jesus did for the church? He sacrificed himself for the church. He paid with his life for the church so that he would have a bride who was able to be in his presence the way that we're able to be in his presence. And Paul says, husbands, love your wives to that degree. In this same way, verse 28, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church, for we're members of his body. It's a lot easier for wives to submit in respect to their husbands if their husbands are loving them the way Christ loves the church. And it's a lot easier for husbands to love and sacrifice for their wives if their wives are submitting and respecting them. But what happens so often in our relationships? Well, one gets frustrated because the other's not doing their part. And then the other gets frustrated because they're not doing their part. And then instead of lifting each other up, we just spiral down. And we forget that before any of this husband and wife talk, Paul reminded us to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. The Christ who died for us, loved us, wicked, terrible, sinful people, loved us enough even to die for us. And now we're bickering because she won't respect me or he won't love me the way I want? Come on. We know that we're supposed to be better than that, Right? Why? Not just for the sake of our husbands and wives, but for the sake of Christ. Jesus loves us so much that he wants to see us get along together. And we're given this example here. This husband and wife thing illustrates the way that we ought to be able to think about Jesus Christ loving us. We love and we respect and we all submit to each other out of reverence for Christ who's calling us to be the kind of body that shows the world the love that he came to give in the first place. Jesus then quotes Genesis chapter 2 verse 31. Or I'm sorry, Paul quotes Genesis chapter 2. And here in verse 31 he says, "For this reason a man will leave his father and mother, be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh." This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. What's this mean? What is this mystery that Paul is talking about? Here's the mystery. Jesus Christ loved us so much that even though when we look at Genesis, we think about a man leaving his father and mother to be united to his wife, we often think about that as, as a literal husband, human, leaving his father and mother to be with his wife, who is a human. But do you see the symbolism here, this profound mystery about Jesus Christ? Jesus Christ loved us so much, he left his home in heaven left his father in heaven to come and be with us, to be united to his wife. The church is called what? The bride of Christ. 
For this reason, because of all of this love, because of this mission, a man will leave his father and mother just the way Christ left heaven to come and be with us and became one flesh with us. And he said, take this bread and remember my body broken for you. Drink this cup and remember my blood spilled for you because Jesus Christ says, now you are with me, not just by yourselves, but together. Do you see what's going on here? There is a call to live for God together, not proudly and not setting ourselves up above each other, but submitting to each other mutually, loving and respecting each other. And yes, that has reflections in marriage. There is some great instruction here for how husbands can interact with their wives and how wives can interact with their husbands. But most of all, there's instruction to all of us about how we live for Christ together. We don't think of ourselves too highly, but we remember Jesus Christ and how he called us to be the body together. Christ has done his work so that we can be his. And we must stay aligned with him, agreeing to be part of that work. He as our Lord and our husband. I know, men, that sounds strange to call Jesus your husband, but we're told over and over, and especially as we see the imagery in Revelation, that Jesus Christ is the, is, is the bridegroom waiting for his bride, which is us, the church. He gave himself up for us and prepares a place for us. We've been washed and we're united to him. And we as his bride respond to his leading, staying connected with him and also offering ourselves to each other. Everything we do is in connection with him and in partnership with him. We are with the Lord. I am running out of time. Take a breath. Take a breath. Stand up. Smell the bread. And while you're standing there, I'm going to invite you to bow your head for a moment. And I'm going to invite you to think about how you are doing in submitting to all the brothers and sisters who are your brothers and sisters in Christ. Husbands, if you want to think about how well you're loving your wives, you go ahead and do that. And wives, if you want to think about how well you're submitting to your husbands, you go ahead and do that. But most of all, I hope that you will think, all of you for a moment, about how well you are living in submission to each other. And if you're not sure, why don't you take a moment here, and I'm going to be quiet. Why don't you take a moment and ask God if he needs to download anything to your brain, because through the power of the Holy Spirit, that kind of happens sometimes. Is there anything God needs to show you about how you can live well with your brothers and sisters in this world? Go ahead and take a moment and just think and pray about that. Listen for God's voice. Amen. Church, you can be seated. One, one thing about being together in Christ, one thing that it means is that, that we come together and we worship together. We sing, we pray, we think together. We talk together, we laugh and cry together, we eat together, and we listen to God together. And that whole togetherness thing is just exactly what Jesus was getting at when he started talking about communion. It's exactly what Jesus was pointing to when he said, take bread and break it and remember me. Because he knew that when we remembered him, it would draw us closer to each other. 
When we remember Jesus Christ and the sacrifice that he gave for us, it helps us to break down the walls that are between us. Not always and not perfectly, but it helps us to take at least a step. And when we take that cup, and, and here at Waterway, we, often, we take this little cup of grape juice, and we remember Jesus' blood that was spilled for us. He bled to the point of dying on a cross. And when we drink that juice, it should remind us of the sacrifice that was made for us, the sacrifice made by the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the sacrifice made by the perfect Jesus Christ who had no need of himself to be up on that cross, but he did that for us. And when we remember what he has done for us, it should make it easier for us to submit to each other. Jesus is reminding us how much he loves each one of us, but also this example that he gives us should remind us how much we ought to love each other. In Ephesians chapter 2, it says that Jesus came and preached peace to those of us who were far away and peace to those who were near. And in him, we're being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Jesus intends for us to, to carry the Holy Spirit around this world, to be his lights in the darkness. In Ephesians chapter 3, Paul says that I pray that you would be established in love and that you'd have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. God wants us to be filled up. And in Christ, in Ephesians 4, 16, it says that through Christ, the whole body is joined together and held together by each supporting ligament as it grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. This is what we're trying to talk about as we think about being the church together. There's a lot more that I can tell you, and I suspect that probably this week on Tuesday or Wednesday, you're going to see an email come out, and, and you're going to see a video where I'm talking to you about how this all works practically here at Waterway Church, a couple things that you can think about. But here's what I'm going to invite you to think about right now as we prepare for communion. We have this bread and we have this juice. There's two kinds of bread. There's a, a regular gluten-filled variety and there's a gluten-free variety. They're, they're both available on both sides. And we're going to invite you to come, uh, come down your side aisles. Don't, don't walk down the center aisle if you can avoid it. Come down the side aisles and back the center aisle to get to your seat. Come down forward, grab a piece of bread, whichever one suits you, grab, grab a cup and take it back to your seat. And what I'm going to invite you to do as, as we're going through this communion time, is I'm going to invite you to think about this bread, which symbolizes the body of Christ broken for you. And I'm going to invite you to take this cup, which symbolizes the blood of Christ that was spilled for you. And I'm going to encourage you to remember, first of all, your Savior who died for you in that way, but also his words that said that he wants us to look out for each other. He wants us to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. He wants us to sacrifice and give ourselves as he gave himself for us. So I'm going to invite you to think about those things. As you smell the bread in the air, your, your nose is going to help you remember this. Eventually, as we taste the bread in the cup, your taste buds are going to help you remember this. What are we remembering? That Jesus Christ came and gave himself for us. Will you pray with me, church? Jesus, thank you for loving us so much. We acknowledge that we don't deserve it. We don't deserve your love. We don't deserve your salvation. We don't deserve any good thing that we've got. But, Lord, you have been so generous to us, and so we say thank you. Lord, as we come together, we remember the body that was broken. We remember the blood that was spilled. 
And Lord, I pray that you would speak to each of us in our hearts and show us how we can be living well for you and together. So Lord, guide us now in this time of communion. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I'm going to invite you now, if you have given your life to Jesus Christ, if you have decided to follow him as your Savior and if he is yours, I'm going to invite you to come forward, take a piece of bread, take a cup, and take it back to your seat. If there's someone in your row who doesn't get around very well and you'd like to help them, come and take whatever you need. We're here in this together. But the communion table is open. Please come and take what you need and then go back to your seat.